Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You're back in the transporter room with a second episode with our guest, Kamora Harrington. We had so much great material that we decided we would do two episodes, and we are very grateful for you tuning in. If you missed episode one, just check out on the Outsports podcast list. We're right there with the Transporter Room episode 32, and we will give you a link on our Facebook page, a tweet on our Twitter page, and here now, episode 33 with Kamora Harrington. And Kamora, in your mind, how much has has the COVID-19 pandemic played into what we're seeing now? Wow. You know when they say when you're a fish, you don't know what water is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's, it's infused throughout all of this, all of it everywhere. Um, and again, when we talk about how COVID is disproportionately affecting different communities and different populations, we really need to look at how racism, capitalism, homophobia, how, how all of these figure into that. It's not like COVID itself said, oh, we want to get these people. It's that we created a perfect storm where COVID was able to shine a light on the disparities in our society. Um, and unfortunately, that shining light involves death and dying. Um, but we were not prepared for this. And we were not prepared for it because we've got a whole lot of other crap that we chose to we chose to pay attention to um, and that we chose not to pay attention to. So looking again, the economic disparities is like there, there really shouldn't have been a reason why this country couldn't have shut down. Other than economic concerns right now, I, I can tell you that years ago I was working with a grant writer who's trying to help me pull in money for my work. And, you know, they kept talking about money, 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 and all this stuff. And I, I had to stop them and say, look, I really want to work with you. I really want to make a lot of money. However, as I'm creating the programs for my people, I cannot think about the money that it will make. If my mind at all, as I'm thinking about liberation, as I'm thinking about raising people and grabbing people and moving people and working with humans, if the dollars attached to that are a part of my thinking, I can't get to the humanity of my work. As a nation, I think that we've spent far too long thinking about the dollars and not the humanity. And COVID just came in and said, this is what happens when you do that. Would you say that um, this is a problem that can be fixed? Or is it so endemic to our society right now that until a certain generation dies off or is blasted off into space and maybe into the sun... (laughs) Can this be fixed? Can what be fixed? What our exactly? So- our society, our institutional racism, our civil injustice, the, Un- the way in which until- people look at um, people of, mm. sorry, you said not to say people of color. I've got to untrain my brain to say that. To see black and brown people as just the same as every other white person. Can white people be taught as the majority race? Which, by the way, Latinos and Latinos are making a greater swath of America, and it will be in my lifetime that whites will probably be a minority. Until we're ready to actually address the core issues, no. As long as we keep dwelling in the hearts and minds place, then no, because because it's not just hearts and minds. 
there's core stuff and there's core stuff that folks don't want to look at. Um, and there's nature. So again, when, when I say that I focus on the differences to get us to the sameness, let's go way, 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 way back to, to caveman days, right? And human beings needed to be able to keep themselves safe in all of the ways, which means that they needed to see what was different and they needed to identify what was different as scary and bad. That was evolution. That was something that we needed to do to stay alive. People who went up to the line and said, oh, this is cool. What is this? They died. Okay. They are no longer here on this earth. Their DNA is no longer here. People who said, yo, I don't know what that is, but that looks like it could eat me. Let me go over here. Those people lived. So inside all of us, there's a place where we see difference and we're scared of it. There's a place where we see difference and we notice that there's a difference there and we want to identify the difference so that we can figure out where our safety is. Liberal white America needs for some reason to pretend that they don't see difference. So therefore, this, this natural thing that's inside of all of us, like, oh, you're different, I find it fascinating, I want to go to it. Oh, you're different, I find it scary, I'm going to run away from it, which is natural, we want to pretend isn't there. And then somehow we want to go address racism and adult, address culturalism from a heart and mind place instead of understanding, look, your job as a parent of a child is when your child sees differences in humans, you point it out, you discuss it, you discuss how beautiful those differences are, and then step into it. As opposed to that child who shares that they see a difference. What are you really saying when you lie to your child and tell them that you don't see a difference and everyone's the same? Okay, we don't talk about that. There's some difference there that's so egregious that we just don't talk about it. We pretend it's not there. I asked my mom, so why is so-and-so whatever color? Mom understands, honey, he's a human and we're all humans and we don't see those distinctions. You're doing it wrong. You're now, doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Oh, absolutely. Now, I, know, I know you're not a Star Trek fan. But here's where I bring in the Star Trek, okay? Spock mm -hmm. comes from a planet where people have this belief, this philosophy. It's called infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And this 1960s idea was to try to show that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what place you come from. That diversity is a good thing. That inclusion is a better thing. And that's where our Star Trek comes in there, Kimora. Yeah. And diversity is a wonderful thing as long as you allow everyone to bring in their gifts. In the United States of America, diversity is us all agreeing on a set of values and leaving our truth out of the room. American diversity is we are looking for people of different values or different colors who share value and we want a potluck. And that, that's the place where like that word diversity drives me crazy because, and, and, yeah, and I, I have like, inclusion I have is the word. I have <laughs> inclusion's way closer to the word, but like, I have seriously talked myself out of trainings when I've gone in and like, there's one, one where this person really, 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 so she had this youth center going and she wanted to make sure that everyone felt included because they were having some issues with homophobia. And she kept talking about making sure that everyone felt safe, everyone felt, felt included. She wants to make sure that everyone, 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 because this homophobia thing was a problem. Okay, cool. So I stepped into the space, you know, for our first meeting, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I was like, well, maybe I'll get the gig, but I probably won't. And I went in and said, okay, so so this is a beautiful space, but where where is is the signage in the space that lets the racist know that there's space for him? And where is the signage in space that lets the homophobe know that this is a space for, for him and where he can be celebrated? And I got the, well, we would never do that. 
okay. So you don't want a space for everyone. You want a space for people who share your values. We can talk about that. We can get there. But do you truly want diversity or do you want a group of people who have group think but who look different and whose food smells different? And what answer did you get? Oh, oh, oh. Well, oh, I, and so this, okay, so I'm going to take you on this whole piece right there. So then what I got was, well, I just run. Like, I love you, by I, the way. I just, uh-huh. <laughs> Yo. You know, when you realize that your words can't kill you, you keep using them and you push them just a little bit harder. Um, but so anyways, I'm in there and, and she's explaining to me what's going on. And she is, she is sure that if she can make just a wonderful, comfortable place, then these young people will stop being homophobic and they will stop being racist. And basically she's saying, I am so wonderful and I've had such a wonderful, sweet life that I can think appropriately. And I'm sure that if I can set this environment up in a way that can allow these people to have that same safety, they too will then think the same way that I think. And it's pushing white folks to, to get to that place. Like, really, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to say? So I have, in the, the five whys creates a place where I don't have to roll my eyes at the person in front of me and go, really? Because hopefully when they've done the five whys, they've gotten there on their, on their own. Um, but there's a place where unexamined niceness and unexamined do-goodness is white supremacist, racist nonsense. So like she, and again, that diversity, you know, we want to make, create space for everyone. Really? Because it didn't work well in Sweden. They ended up with some real fundamentalist Islam because they figured that there was space for everyone. What's your criteria? If you really want to create space where everyone feels affirmed and respected and, you know, let's go to that next place of love. And I think that everyone needs to feel love. And as a community and as societies, we need to think about that. You know, acceptance is wonderful, but let's figure out how we can feel love, right? If that's what you want, that involves a whole lot of internal work, um, a ridiculous amount of internal work to where, um, so if and when you come to the KCC, we, and the place where that comes from is, is our idea of what community is. And I'll just read the definition straight out. So at the KCC, practicing and living in community means that we are responsible to ourselves and others. It means that we are committed to engaging humbly and bravely with others who we may not agree with, but who share a similar worldview. Tensions and conflict are gifts that allow us to grow together. And and, and, and that's, that's the world that I want to live in, and that's the world that I strive every day to work to live in, and that's the hard work. And I think for a whole lot of folks, the amount of work that's necessary for us to move through and to get to the other side is daunting. But this nation was built on anti-blackness, enslavement, and black labor. And white folks really don't know that history. Until we have that and we can enter into a conversation together, then we're not ready to start really thinking about how to get out of this. And, and I'm not trying to say sit down and shut up, but in some ways I'm saying sit down and learn. You know, like, I get it. A thing happens, you want to do a thing. Learn something and learn some real history. You know, like very often folks who do what I do, we were hired to be the magical Negro, and they want us to come in and share some black pain and maybe a folksy story so that they can cry, so that they can marvel at the amazing folksy wisdom that we have, which is about as disrespectful as you can possibly get. I have, so again, I was born into this. I've been doing this since I was four. 
I grew up in this. I thank God for all of the amazing and Vietnam vets. I like when I talk about my Vietnam vets, I wish I could tell you about these beautiful people. Um, but growing up with amazing Vietnam vets who made sure to give me their version of American history and definitely their version of America's military history. Um, and then also learning. So as a child, the books were in the house. So I read all the books. So by the time I got to college and it was time to start majoring in some, you know, black literature classes, black history, I already had this amazing foundation underneath me and then I could grow through there. When you're hiring me, that's what you're getting. Many people, when they hire me, think they're hiring the cool, folksy, wisdom-having black lady. That's white supremacy. <laughs> Respect the fact that I am a student of this. Respect the fact that my, my basis in how I'm trying to build community comes directly from John Locke. And there's a wonderful place where I will go and do a speech and do what I do. And then afterwards, some wonderful, well-educated liberal person will come up and very nicely explain to me how what I said actually falls under the tenets of this and this and this. Dude, what the fuck? You really think that I just pulled this <laughs> stuff out my ass for the fun of it? Wow. You, you, we, we're going to look at each other in the eye right now. We're going to have this conversation. And right now you create a place where I need to, to list off a whole bunch of books and philosophers who, that you've never heard of. So that as we're looking at each other, we both realize I know a lot of what you respect that you don't know. But because I'm the black lady who talks like I talk and because I'm in this field of people stuff, you really thought that I just woke up one day, had a feeling, and then figured I should have a job telling people about it. All I can say is, wow, how often, how often do we get mansplained and whitesplained at the same time? And that, that goes into one of the things, one of my personal tenets. There comes a point, and Dawn and I have had this, have had this discussion. There come, there's a word that I think is a dirty word. It's a four, there's a word that I have that is a four, to me, it's a four letter word, even though it's a lot more, more than four letters. It's the, <laughs> it's the word compromise. It's every, not a four letter word. It's every not a four measure, word. every measure in the history of this nation that upheld chattel slavery was called a compromise. That's a compromise. I am, I, I am, I am dead set against the word compromise. There is no compromise Yo. when it comes to human rights for or against. And Don, I've had this discussion. I've had this discussion with a lot of people. There comes a point where there is no compromise. For example, in I'm going to, I have to, I have to bring this up. The recent, with the recent unpleasantness in regards to the ADF, no compromise. Get out of my state. Mm -hmm. No compromise. Yeah. There is no, well, halfway, maybe separate, but equal. No compromise. Mm -hmm. At what point in your work, do you reach the point of no compromise? Where no, do you that's, reach and, that and that's, point? That, yeah, that compromise, like you're hitting on it. America will not talk about black people. America needs euphemisms. So we've got all these compromises and peculiar institutions. Yo, can we just say that we will never give black people what they want because we like we liked having them enslaved. Reparations. That's a great thing to say. That's a great thing to say. Instead, we're going to say, well, you know, there are compromises and there's a three-fifths compromise and there's a Missouri compromise and all these compromises. No, there was a decision to refuse to give people all the rights that they deserved. That's what the compromise was. And no one, no one on what I know of the black folks, and just from what I've read, I have never read any in, um, original source material that says that black folks were down with some of this compromise nonsense. And then to call enslavement a peculiar institution, which is, again, that's, that's an old word. We've been using this for a long time. Why can't we say what it is? 
And white America, that is your charge. That's a very real charge. From the beginning of this country, America has chosen nice ways to talk about horrible things that they do. How do you get to a place where you can actually have the conversation if the only words that you have are nice people words? Hey, Carly, that sound means we got to take a break. We'll be right back with more Transporter Room with Kamara Harrington. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. Carly Chardonnay Webb along with Don Ennis. Today, Kamora Harrington from Kamora's Cultural Corner in Hartford, Connecticut with us to have an important conversation that we all should be having in this country right now. As a student of history, I got to say, the worst compromise in my lifetime was Martin Luther King basically being told he did not have a choice. He did not get a choice as to whether there will be a compromise in the Voting Rights Act. This was Lyndon Baines Johnson. This was the only way that there was going to be any kind of Civil Rights Act. And I will say that for white Americans, it made sense. And to King and all of his followers, it seemed like a betrayal, and it was. And white Americans will never get the idea that because this was forced upon them, the people who followed Martin Luther King, the people he represented, got a shitty deal. And the only reason that LBJ got that deal was because he said, if you don't, it's this or nothing. And I, I think that Black people in America have for too long accepted this or nothing. And they keep hoping. We, we haven't accepted it though, and and well, that's where the, 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 the right. The word "accepted" is wrong. Right now. It's it's yeah. not it's not accepted. You know what it is? They've had to suck it up. They didn't have a choice. It was forced upon them. It's a so-called compromise that they didn't get to make, because the majority of white people decided this was what was best. The system. Well, that's what. Well, you know, the system, the system works. Is. The that, system yeah. works for the people designed to work for it. That's why, for example, for myself. I want to see this system dismantled. And yes, yeah. I'm going to bring some hammer and sickle into your conversation today. Well, the problem is you got 14% of, of, of the population. And how are you going to get the other 86% to allow you to dismantle? That's my question. There are enough, oh, of, us, there are enough of us that want to, want to see it dismantled, but not enough to actually make it happen. I would disagree with that. Mm. I would disagree. And I think you're seeing it more and more in the streets. And really, you don't need a majority. You just need you just if you you need a few people who are well motivated, who are well motivated to make this to, to make this change for myself. The biggest thing we need to do is and I believe that we can change this system. But to begin with, we as people, re again, regardless of what our tendencies are, regardless of where we are, for example, Don and I politically we probably disagree on 66% of stuff, but, but we all know that we have a common enemy and a common enemy is the systems of oppression that we have right now, which are going to our detriment. I'm pretty sure that, that Kimura, if you and I go farther down the road, we're going to find differences. That just happens in people that are doing this work. But we know that right now we have a common focus and a common goal, which is we have to get we have to come come together, get this, and and realize that we have a system of a, we have systems of oppression that are hurting all of us. 
Not all of us to the same degree, but eventually it's going to seep down to all of us. So we have a vested interest in fighting it. And I believe that people are seeing that. And I think we can come together. And I think that's the biggest trick that power tries to tell us is that we can't, is that it's too big. The problems are too great and we can't. To me, we don't have a choice. This is not just about the survival of a nation. This is about a survival of a species. That's what COVID is teaching us right now. We have to think beyond our borders and think as species homo sapiens because we're seeing a possible as extension, a possible extinction event for our species. If it's not COVID, it's going to be climate change. And, you know, as a representative of the species homo sapiens, I kind of want to be around. I vote for you to stay around, too. And I am a big yeah. believer in the glass being either full or half full. So I'm with you. I think that our country was built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope, to quote Rogue One. Um, thinking that we can do this together, but it's going to take a lot of fucking work. And one thing I've seen in this whole COVID lockdown is people like to not have to work. So I'm calling everybody who has a set of ears listening to us right now. Find some way to work, to do something, to help, to make a difference. And there is our Carly showing off her socialist candidate for president t-shirt. Okay. Well, let's not go there. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not declaring a choice of president because I am a journalist and I don't, uh, I don't take sides, but I'm not voting for Trump. I can tell you that right now. Um, Kamora Harrington, it has been our yeah. pleasure to have you beamed up into the transporter room and I'm going to give you the last word. I love you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and going to, as you said, the glass is half full. I'm there with you, but I'm definitely a glass is half empty person because if it's half empty, we are going to find more water to put in it so that it never becomes empty. If we're going to keep saying that it's half full, then when it's actually empty, we're going to wonder how that happened. The glass is half empty. Let's fill it. That's wonderful. I'm actually going to take back the last word because I read something today from LZ Granderson. LZ Granderson is a very prominent queer black uh, journalist in sports. And he said something today that just it hit me so hard. If you're thirsty, Kamora, and I offer you a glass of water, you're going to drink it no problem. But if you're thirsty and I pour you a glass of water and then I spit in it, you're not going to drink that water. Even though the vast majority of the glass is refreshing cold water, that spit ruins the entire glass. In the real world, that drop of spit is racism. So all the good things you do, you go to church, you treat your partner with respect, donate to good causes, all those things get ruined because you tolerated that one drop of spit in the glass. It's time for us to throw the glass of water away and, like you said, fill it with some good water. Yeah. I, to me, I have no words for that. I have no Just words for so that. So eloquent. So eloquent. I mean, I have no, but, but my thing is though, you talk about glass half empty, glass half full. Yeah. I've never been either. I'm a believer oh. that it's a, it's a glass of water. <laughs> what you do with it is up to you. No, what you do with it is up to you. You can, plant, you can you pour can, that. Yeah. Put on plants. You can, you can put that, that glass of water can make, can help a plant grow. That glass of water handed to someone else can, can help someone thirsty. Ultimately it's what we do. It's what we do. And I'm a believer in what we call in Marxism, revolutionary optimism. And it doesn't mean that it's pie in the sky because we know what type of work we have to do. Like you said, Don, it's going to take some fucking work. 
but and that's the thing but at the same time i do that work i do that work because i know a better world is possible that's why i do what i that's what i try and do what i do and i also do it at another level because i realize i have to fight racists i have to fight transphobes i have to fight homophobes it's not about so much whether i win or not that's not the first thing I'm thinking about. What I'm thinking about is they're transphobes, they're racist, they're homophobes. They're people who are against humanity. And I know that ultimately it comes down to how much is my humanity worth? And it's worth everything to me. So Amen. yes, I have to engage in the fight. I have no choice. Amen. I'm going to uh, wrap this up by saying thank you again to Kimora. We've been saying thank, thank you, you for 10 minutes now. <laughs> Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you for showing us and teaching us and for tolerating those of us who are like me who have a lot to learn. Carly, set coordinates for Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, we're going to beam it back down. We're going to keep keep the work going longer than the KCC. Yes. And we'll put a link on our Facebook page to the Camorra's Cultural Corner so that you can get involved, you can find a way to support, and to keep the mission moving, which is that everybody, everybody is part of the problem and part of the solution. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb.